Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Today is our Christmas episode. And since Christmas is a season of love and miracles, of family, of wintry fun, and of treats, well, I have a treat for you. Today, Richard Paul Evans, author of The Christmas Box and 40 consecutive New York Times bestsellers that always seem to come out around Christmas time, and Celeste Edmonds, the executive director of Christmas Box International, are here to share a little of all of that. Miracles, stories of family and children, gifts, and all good things to set the scene for Christmas. On top of that, The Noel Letters, Richard's new book, is out for Christmas, and we're going to hear a little bit about that. So stay tuned. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. To start, you have to know who these folks are, right? So let me start with Richard Paul Evans. When he wrote that number one bestseller, The Christmas Box, he didn't write it intending to become an internationally known author. In fact, the story was written as a gift for his two young daughters at the time, and he self-published it. He handed it out to family and friends at Christmas that year. Well, three years later, this quiet, simple story of parental love and the true meaning of Christmas made history, this is our first set of miracles here, made history when it became simultaneously the number one hardcover and paperback book in the nation. This is coming from a self-published perspective that's just not heard of. Well, since then, more than 8 million copies of The Christmas Box have been printed, and six of Evan's books have actually been produced into television movies. He has more than 24 million copies of his books in print. That is miraculous, all of those things. He's gone on to speak, obviously. He's shared the podium with such notable personalities as President George W. Bush, former Prime Minister John Majors, Ron Howard, Elizabeth Dole, Deepak Chopra, Steve Allen, Bob Hope. I mean, seriously, come on, all of this sounds pretty miraculous, this effect that he's been able to have, this reaching out, this touching other people. He's been on the Today Show on Glenn Beck, CNN, Entertainment Tonight, Time, Newsweek, People, The New York Times, Washington Post, Good Housekeeping, and now we're thrilled to have him on the Love Your Story podcast. Um, Evans has won numerous awards, and he's made big bucks with all of this fabulous writing. But one of the things that I think is very cool and that we're celebrating today is that he's used that money to do some really good things in the world. And one of those was that during the spring of 1997, Evans founded the Christmas Box International, which is an organization that's devoted to building shelters and providing services for abused and neglected children. To date, more than 125,000 children have been served by the Christmas Box house facilities. And this is where Celeste comes in. So Celeste is his executive director of the Christmas Box International. And this is kind of fun because she started out with Richard Clare back in the beginning as his personal assistant. She's been with him for two decades. 
She's been by his side all the way. And she also has a very cool story because she's an exceptional advocate. She's a former foster child herself. She comes through that same system. So it's a bit like a fairy tale. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Tell me a little bit about what you're excited about. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm uh, I'm excited about the Christmas box house. I've completely re-engaged in the last uh, two months. I've always been the chairman. I've always been engaged, but um, I, I decided to take it on as a full-time job again and uh, shake things up. And uh, things are just exploding in the most beautiful way. And it's so fun to be back. And it's so fun to have Celeste back. Uh, it's talk about the big chill. Uh, she was my young assistant. And um, when we went through all this and she was fantastic. And now we get to this point where she went away from home and grew up and got really smart and came back. And now we get to benefit from that. And so um, this is really fun. And um, I, I love the people I'm working with. And it's so fun to see the impact we can make in children's lives and, the, and how hungry the community is to be involved. You know, so a case in point, the county is really struggling. It's hard to keep up with the, um, the, the amount of money it takes to take care of these children. And they asked a small thing, can we, we need the carpets cleaned. I put it out there to our community. Within 10 minutes, we had two volunteers, two companies volunteered to come in and do the carpets and to clean everything uh, on an ongoing basis. And it was just done. It's like, how it's wonderful. Like, it's like that story, Stone Soup, you know, yes, if yes. Have a little bit to add. Yeah. Yes. So when you originally started this, now I have been reading, um, okay, this is a funny story and, and it's a little, it's a little interesting. I believe in serendipity and things all just sort of getting woven together. Well, I have this friend who loves to secondhand shop. And so for her birthday every year, we spend the whole day and just hop from secondhand stores to secondhand stores. Well, I was in this one and uh, it was, over, I'm not even sure which shop it was, but I was able to find like eight of your books for a dollar each, which I was like, wow, I didn't even know that how many you had written at the time. I wasn't super familiar with all of them. And so I grabbed the whole set and started reading them. And then I came across, across Celeste on LinkedIn. And then I read Grace, right? And it's talking about um, what kind of where the Christmas box house came from. You've got that section in the back of the book there, which by the way, listeners, Grace is a, a touching book. If you haven't read it before, it's it's one of many that he's done that are very touching. So anyway, it just sort of set this foundation for being able to have you guys on the show to reach out and pull things together. And so this is really exciting for me to get to talk to you and to share with my audience what you guys are doing and why you're doing it. If I can just read one of the books of yours that I recently finished was The Christmas Box Miracle. And on page 224, um, let me just share a little quip here. This was right after you had been doing a speaking engagement. It says, and, and a guy came up and spoke to you and he said, last night something happened while you were speaking. You were suddenly completely encompassed in light. At first, I didn't believe what I saw and I blinked. And then I moved around in my seat, but the light didn't change. It was as if the light emanated from your skin. I turned to my wife and asked her if she saw what I saw, but she didn't say anything. She just sat there listening to you. And then as you finished speaking, the light gradually diminished until it was gone. Last night, I lay in bed for hours just thinking about what I had seen. I thought my wife was asleep when suddenly she said, you saw the light, didn't you? I said, you saw it too? 
Why didn't you say anything? She said it frightened her. She hadn't seen anything like it before. The man looked me in the eyes. This is the man talking to Richard. The man looked me in the eyes. What does it mean? I asked him when he saw the light, and he said that it was near the end of my talk when I had been speaking about our divine life purpose. I believe you have been given a sign, I said. A sign is not a destination. It merely points the way. It's now up to you to learn for yourself whether or not what I said was true. As we parted, I wished him luck in his journey. It was the first time I was to hear about the light. Over the next few years, it would become almost commonplace. So I want to ask you so many, and in this whole book, The Christmas Box Miracle, it is a just a list, a story, a narration of all the miracles that happened to bring the Christmas box out. And then from that, you have used your resources to create other miracles with the Christmas Box House International. But so much of your entire life in reading these, and it, maybe it's very commonplace to you now, but me looking at it from the outside, I just see magic all over the place that's woven around you and what you choose to do with it and what you create. So why do you think that you are the conduit for this magic? I don't know. I, I see at the end of the book, I'm sure God could have found someone better. Um, maybe because I'm just simple enough to understand and to have faith in what's coming through. I was told when I was 12 years old, that this would happen to me, that I would be known throughout the world and that great miracles would come. And I, when just before it all happened, I had that experience again and was told it was about to start. And uh, at the time, it's like, you got to be kidding me. I'm barely making a living. I'm really struggling here. And um, the stories, and since I wrote that book, I've had, I had one happen that was really strange. A photographer came up to me and I was, I was speaking for, at a group with the Phoenix Suns basketball team. And the guy told me, don't get, most of them are drunk. Don't get, try to get spiritual. And it was a big, it was at this billionaire's home in this big tent. They had flown me in for it. And he, after I spoke, I'm, I'm speaking, all of a sudden, this really powerful force just came to me and said, it said, start talking. And I got very serious. And the place went dead silent, just dead silent. And um, I was able to tell, tell some really profound, powerful things that were just coming through me. And, and I finished and there was a standing ovation and um, I was stunned. It's like, wow, I wasn't supposed to do that, right? I was supposed to just kind of keep them, keep it jovial. And well, this photographer comes up and I had spoken there once before in Phoenix. And he goes, I got to show you something. He goes, I had a normal camera last year and um, I took pictures of you and they actually got mad at me and didn't want to pay me because they said I did such a horrible job because all the pictures of you had these two orbs around you. And they would obscure your face. And they thought I had just done a bad job with lighting. He goes, I want to show you something. And he goes, I have a digital camera now. He showed me more than 20 pictures in the orbs. One purple one, one white one. They're always in the same place from every angle. He goes, that's what it is. What are those things that are following you? What do you think of that? And I thought that was, and, and then I had, then I actually had that experience one week later in the same color orbs. And so I, I asked my friend, I go, what are these things? And someone said, they're spirits with you. And the thing is, they only show up when I, I, I can feel them when they come because all of a sudden I start getting this incredible inspiration. And I've had, I've had one time I was speaking and I actually had to tell me every, every, I was speaking to some young women, which the women in the audience were being sexually abused and I needed to help them. And um, I went up to one of the leaders afterwards and I said, you have a problem here. And she goes, how did you know that? We know that. You actually named them. How did you know that? And I said, I don't know. 
I go, there are, wow. there are sources. I, I know this. It's, I'm not trying to, I mean, I'd be intellectually dishonest to say things don't happen. And so I'm not, I'm not a psychic. I'm just a guy. And I get, but I get inspiration. Sometimes it just, it, it kind of, it blows me away. I don't know why. And the Christmas box house was, was a lot of that. But the miracle of the Christmas box house, uh, as Celeste will attest, is it was no fun. I mean, the first four years is one of those no good deed goes unpunished was our slogan until we changed it to failure is not an option. <laughs> <laughs> so it was awful. <laughs> okay, tell me, tell me why. First, okay, first of all, let's start back just a little bit. For people who aren't familiar with the, the story of the Christmas box, can you just sum up it in narrative form real quickly? What is that book about? It's a little novella I wrote for my children. It's about the love of a parent for his children. It's about a father. If you've seen the movie with Maureen O'Hara and Richard Thomas, it's about a father who um, discovers the importance of his daughter's childhood. Well, and, and it's been very powerful in helping parents who have lost children and, you know, the angels right. that you've put up all over the place. I mean, the miracles involved in it just are, are breathtaking. There's more than 150 angel monuments around the world, millions of dollars of monuments around the world that came from this angel. And it's, and it's very quiet. It's, you know, talk much about it. It just happens. So every year, tens of thousands of people gather at these angels. Well, and, and all of those parents that are seeking peace in their hearts because of a lost child, and you have created all of this for them. So, you know, all you've got all those miracles involved. And then you decide to create this miracle of the Christmas box house. Tell me a little bit about what the impetus was for creating it. Well, it actually started it started with a meeting with some financial advisors. Uh, Carrie, my wife, and I, we went to meet with these advisors, and they, and they started talking about how to build a trust so when our kids are drug addicts because we're wealthy and, and, and just go off the rails, you know, how to protect the money. And we were, like, really disturbed. I mean, the most important job I have is being a father. And it's like, wait, I wrote this book because of my love for them. What if the money destroys them? And... Um, so we're sitting in our little minivan outside the office and literally with a, talking about millions of dollars. And I, Carrie turns to me and she goes, well, let's just give the money back. And I go, well, hold on a minute. You really <laughs> oh, hold on. I, no, I've, I've been the other side. I don't like that either. And, and that's where it started. It's like, well, why don't we use the money for something good and teach our children that money is meant to make a better world. And that's where it started. So that's where, um, I asked my, my dad to, um, he was a social worker, and I asked him to, to start asking around. It's like, what do children need? We felt because the book was about the love for children, we wanted to pursue that. And so he went, he, he went to the dean of the University of Utah School of Social Work and, and asked, well, what do you need? And he said, I don't know. And that, well, if you don't know, who knows? And uh, so we held a conference, and we asked the question, what's the most important thing we could do right now to help? at-risk children. And we learned right away that these people didn't work together. They didn't like each other. They didn't want to sit next to each other. We also learned that they all had the same idea, but they were so divided, they couldn't bring it together. So that's what we were most proud of. Um, and that's why I'm really grateful that Celeste was like the perfect person to be there at the time because she's, she's one of those people that can tell you to go to hell and you'll look forward to the, the, the vacation. <laughs> Um, Celeste, tell us a little bit about 
the whole Christmas box international, what exactly does it do? So people who haven't been exposed to it before will know. So the Christmas box was established based on this, this concept around when, when a child is removed, um, which tends to oftentimes be in the middle of the night, they, as I can, as I can speak to, they have multiple stops that the state has to make for them. And so let's say it's two in the morning and they're, they're being removed by a police officer and there's not a family member they can find that, that can take them. Let's even add, you know, to the complication, they have a couple of siblings, a brother and a sister. It's going to be difficult to find a family that quickly that can take them all into one home. Um, so the Christmas box house serves as that place. They stay with us for about two weeks to a month. Um, the beauty is that, you know, we take children now and it's, I should say young adults all the way up to the age of 22, which ironically can still be in state care and have siblings. But again, it allows us the ability to be able to keep those groups together. Um, that oftentimes creates further traumatization. So it's, it's, it's great. We have three of them in Utah with three locations. And to your point, we've served uh, over 125,000 so far. How, how did you two meet? How did you and Celeste meet? Go ahead, Celeste. Oh, goodness. So long ago. Um, well, interestingly enough, I was, I, I was just getting ready to leave one job. I'd been laid off. I was pregnant with my first child. And I had made friends with a guy that worked for Rick at the time. He was closing out his advertising agency and, you know, deciding to become an author, a full-time author after the, what you talked about earlier on the self-published stuff. And I basically gave him my resume and said, anything you can find. Well, that same day, um, our offices were across from each other, just divided by a hallway and an elevator. Rick comes over and he has my resume in his hand and he says, come and see me later. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I have no idea who you are. He's pointing to the office on the other side. So I, I went over and he showed me this little green book. He said, have you, ever see, have you ever heard of this book? And I said, sadly, I'm sorry, I haven't. And he said, well, I have a homework assignment for you. It's just under 13,000 words and I would like you to read it and then come talk to me again tomorrow. I was like, that's the oddest interview. If it was an interview I've ever had. I thought, I thought that will totally get rid of her. She won't do it. <laughs> right. That's it. This is it. Process. And so I did. And of course I was hooked. It's, it's not only an easy read, but it's a very special read. And um, I went back and talked to him the next day. And I said, hey, you know, in, as, a, as a young 20 something year old, I said, in full disclosure, I start rambling on. I'm pregnant. I'm going to have my baby in five months. I think he says, listen, listen. I need you to be my assistant. Here's what I've got going on in my life. And we just started the conversation, long story short. But when the Christmas box started, he'd already known, you know, much about my history and um, being raised in foster care and being adopted twice, whole other story. And we kept looking at each other through the conference and just, we just kind of knew. And later on, he said, you're going to want to leave me and go there, right? And I said, yes. <laughs> so long story short. Yeah, here we are. Now it's 24 years later. And the miracles, like you were talking about earlier, never stop. Every single day in the Christmas box house alone, there's a miracle. Mm -hmm. So all the miracles that, that Rick has started and all the miracles that he sees with his books and the lives that are touched, there's a, there's a continuous um, 
energy that happens in the Christmas box houses. Those miracles exist every single day. We see the lives of children being saved for one that have been removed from an awful situation. The other kind of miracles we see are families that get to be saved. So there's time. Those children aren't bouncing around from foster care home to foster care home like I did every six months. And eventually they get reunification with the family, which is the most successful, right? Awesome miracle story we could come up with. Um, and so those are some of the, the beautiful things we see, but I really would never stress enough the fact that we keep hundreds of sibling groups together. Yeah, you can't, you can't underestimate the power of that. No. Those are lives. Those you are can, real especially lives. Especially if you're oh. the oldest and you're raising those kids because of the circumstances. You're, my brother and sister went to a home. I went to another home. We didn't see each other for almost two years, and I raised them. I was their mom. So it's almost, it's, you're worried, it's offensive. You have, you know, social workers aren't, aren't, aren't necessarily connecting you because they don't have enough history, frankly, to go off of. So the Christmas box house, you know, really does keep those family units together. And at that time, that's all those children have. I had a cool experience at a book signing along that line. I was, I was sitting, it was an outside signing. There were hundreds of people in line and near the back, there was this really um, cute, teenage girl who kept like getting out of line to just stare at me which is cool because I was like 50 and, and uh, finally, <laughs> all the finally, better <laughs> yeah so finally she gets up and she's like shaking she's so excited I go, you come up and she walks up to me and I said uh I, she goes oh my gosh Mr. Evans my whole life I just wanted to meet you and I said you like my books she goes I've never read them <laughs> I, go, I go well why do you why did you want to meet me and she goes I'm a Christmas box house kid and she said, my parents are drug addicts. And when they took us away, um, she goes, it was me and my brother. And she put her arm around this teenage boy next to him. She goes, it's my brother. They took us away. No one wanted both of us. Anyway, because of your Christmas box house, we stayed together for three months until mom and dad found us. And her parents were right there, her adopted parents. And she goes, my caseworker told me that if it wasn't for you and what you started, uh, we would have been raised in separate homes. And I always just want to say thank you for my brother. And I said, uh, do you want to? That's the payoff right there, yeah, right? Sign books. She said, yeah, we drink Slurpees and sign books. And I was like, that was a pretty good day. <laughs> That's a great day. Thank you for sharing that story. You know, it's those, it's those moments right there when you start seeing what the work you're doing is really, how it's really affecting the, the lives. And that's the beautiful stuff. That's the payoff, huh? about your book. You have a new book coming out for this holiday season, um, The Noel Letters. What do you love about this? And are there any miracles involved in that? Oh my gosh, no, more blood than miracles. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I, this one about killed me. It just hit the New York Times uh, bestseller list yesterday. And Congratulations. Thank you. It's my 41st bestseller, if you can believe that. <laughs> You know what? Um, Honestly, Richard, can I just say, it is so hard to believe. As a writer myself, and I have a degree in writing, done writing workshops my whole life, I know what that publishing business is like. And your story is so absolutely unique and unprecedented of being able to just start writing, not even coming from a writing background, and to hit that kind of popularity and to do it over and over and over. Again, we're just talking intense miracles here. So... Congratulations, right? Like, what does it feel like to be able to just channel that kind of magic? So this new book, same thing, the 41st New York Times bestseller. It's not even Christmas yet. 
<laughs> Congratulations. Tell us, tell us about the story and about writing it. Well, it's, it's about Noelle Post. She's a woman who's coming home to see her estranged father who's dying. She doesn't like her father. They haven't talked to him in a decade. She's coming back to see him and she, um, he dies before she gets home. And she's now in, in a place of discovery as she starts to clean up. She thinks she'll be there for a few days. It ends up much longer. And she starts to realize that everything she believed about her father was false, that her childhood beliefs were wrong. So the story's about finding truth, about how mm. the truth will set us free and about liberation. And so I think it's a really moving story. Uh, it's my wife's favorite of all my books. But when I finished reading, uh, writing it, I was way behind. The story was longer than I thought it was going to be in. And um, I remember the night I locked myself in a hotel room and did nothing but write. I'd write till midnight or two in the morning, sleep for a few hours, get up, write again. And I remember my assistant came over to bring me lunch. And I said, I can't believe I've been here for a week. And she looked at me. She goes, Rick, you've been here for 10 days. And I, I totally just lost complete track of where I was. And, and when I finally finished, I said, I'm going to get it in at noon on Thursday. Instead, I tend it in at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> and those of those changes, I send it in. I push the button uh, to send it to my uh, agents and editor. I sit on the bed, it's like it's done. And then all of a sudden, I enjoyed it for about one minute because then the room starts spinning. And it's like I'm going to pass out. <laughs> and I curled up in the fetal position. And uh, the next morning, I called my assistant. I said, I am really sick. The room's spinning. You need to come pack me up. And then Carrie picked me up, and I, I had an ice pack, and I drove to my ranch. It took about three days. She drove me to the ranch. And I just sat there with the ice pack and, a, and a, a blanket over my head and drove about four hours. And um, it's like, this one about broke me. And Why do so, you think this one was so hard? I don't know. I mean, you bleed every one of them. And this one, I just took more blood, I guess. And um, so when I was done, I didn't know if it was any good. I was kind of angry at it. And it's like, it probably is a bad book to boot. And uh, then Carrie read, she goes, this is your best book. I go, really? really? She goes, no, this is my favorite book. And, and then I started getting these incredible national reviews. Like even Kirkus, who's always a little snarky, just said, you should, everyone should read this. They said it should be under a lot of Christmas trees this year. And, and it's like, wow, I guess people like it. And I have so much going on right now in my life. I have, um, uh, right now, Netflix is producing uh, my first feature film from Noel Diaries, starring Justin Hartley of This Is Us. How exciting. Um, Are you thrilled about that? I'm totally thrilled. I also have, I got a call two weeks ago, and this producer said, you know, he goes, have you heard of the movie Pretty Woman? I said, everyone knows Pretty Woman. (laughs) Yeah, the writer of that fell in love with your last book, and he wants to write into a movie if that's okay. And I said, that's okay. And then I had two other producers contact me about TV series. And so I have, um, actually, I have three things in the work right now. And um, more than uh, seven have already been produced. And it's just kind of exploding. I don't know why at this time in my life, but it's, it's kind of fun. That's amazing. I'm sure it's a ton of fun. And enjoy that journey. You know, I mean, if you're getting that much good stuff, that much magic, that many miracles, enjoy that beautiful journey. Congratulations. Can I, can I and Lurley, it's worth taking the time. Can I tell you one more miracle with Christmas Box House? I would love to have you tell me more. This is, this is really important. I, I told you, like Celeste and I were saying, it was miserable. And we're, we're like a million dollars or how, what were you like 0.7 million dollars over budget. So last it was somewhere around there. Yeah, it was way over. <laughs> very, was just, very over budget. And we're getting donations of like $10. 
people are not donating. So it's like, I keep doing loan, we were talking about this yesterday, loan after loan after loan, to the point that I, I, I actually hit the point where I had no more money to loan. So it's like, I've taken all the money I made and given it up and for something that very well might fail. And um, one night I come home and it's been a really hard day. Our slogan that no good deed goes unpunished was in full effect. And I, and I came home and, and um, Carrie asked how I was going. I told her and she got really mad. She goes, look, they don't appreciate it. They don't care. You've spent all our money. It's like, it's like, I, it's like, this is a really dumb thing. And um, what can I say? I mean, she was right. It's just like, she's like, Rick, no one wants this place built except for the kids, of course. And, and so I retreat into my cave and um, it's like, I can't do this. I just prayed. I said, God, I can't do it without her. It's enough that I'm fighting everyone, but to have the battle at home as well, mm. it's more than I can handle. Okay. It's, I was already too much, but now it's just too much. And, um, and it is her money too, you know, and it's not fair uh, to her. And, and um, I got a very interesting answer to that prayer. About an hour later, Carrie, it's it's about 11 o'clock at night now, and she texts me, or she calls me, she goes, Michael is sick. And I, we had an eight-month-old baby at the time. And so um, I go upstairs, and he has 105 fever. Oh, wow. And so it's like, we need to go to the hospital. So, um, well, it was 104. It got up to 105. We drive him to the hospital by the time we get there. And so we walk into Primary Children's Hospital, and all the lights are off. And we walk in. It's At this point, it's 1 in the morning very quiet and we sit down in this bank of chairs and we'd been there about about 10 minutes waiting when suddenly a man walks in holding a two-year-old who had just been beaten up oh wow blood was on his hair his hair had been ripped out in big chunks blood all over his head if you could imagine and he's holding this little baby and he literally walks over like we're invisible right he walks over and holds the baby about two feet in front of my wife and starts talking to the nurse and telling everything that's happened to this baby. And this is just, I mean, and she's sitting there looking at this baby. The baby's looking at her and she starts to, she's like in shock. And, and after he finishes, the nurse says, uh, the doctor will be right here and walks off. And, and then I say, sir. And he looks at me like he hadn't even seen us. And this, I'm, I stood up and I go, I'm Richard Paul Evans. And he goes, I know who you are. And I go, where'd you, where'd you go with this baby? It's now two in the morning. Where are you going to go with this baby after you see, after he's helped? And he's, and he said, um, I'll start waking people up, start making phone calls and try to find someone. And he goes, if we had your shelter, it'd be less traumatic. We'd have a place to take him right now. Mm. Otherwise I'll be driving around the Valley. And um, that's it. He then walked off and I look over and Carrie's crying. She's her head down. She's crying like this. And then she looks at me and she goes, finish the shelter. She goes, I don't care what it takes. I don't care. Build a shelter. And I thought, how amazing. Because it, he didn't, God didn't really give me what I wanted. He gave me what I needed. And so I'd hit a point of I can't go any, any further. It's like I can't go anymore. Okay. You, it's too much now. He would, he would open the door for me. And that happened time and time again. And it's just like it was pure faith. We'd hit that point And all of a sudden it's like, okay, okay. I'll, I'll remove that roadblock, but you have to keep working. And that was, that was how it, that's how it went. That, that was the story of building the Christmas box house. 
And uh, what now, a we journey. See, now we see the power of it. More than 125,000 children. That's, that's stadiums of children that we've helped. And, and hard to know. I mean, it's a number, but when you really get down into that many little lives and what difference that makes, that's phenomenal. And to see, you know, I would imagine it's got to be very satisfying to know that you are a tool in the Lord's hands that uh, that He works with so continually in just creating this many wonderful miracles and things in the world. Goes to show He can work with anyone, right? What, <laughs> what, a, what a journey! Wow. <laughs> Last, tell me, what can people do if they want to get involved with a Christmas box house? What does the community do to support this? Well, they go into our website and they look at, you know, look for different options. Like in particular, right now, we we have our annual Project Elf is what we call it. And basically, we are giving, uh, providing Christmas for more than or close to 1,700 foster kids, in addition to the kiddos that are in, in the homes as well. So... 2,000, more than 2,000 children, it's about 2,500 total that we provide Christmas for, and that we rely on community donations for that. And so on our website, it, it gives options if you're, if, if you're somebody that, it's all about how somebody wants to give. A lot of people still like to shop for things, so they want a wish list, they want to go to the store, they want to shop for items. There's others that want to give a, uh, a monetary donation, which allows us to buy things we don't get. And then uniquely for the, for the teenagers, um, for a couple reasons, one is a lot of people don't want to donate to teenagers, oddly enough. Um, you know, but it's the same reason people, I think, want to adopt a baby. Everything's little and cute and they want to shop little and cute. So it's a little bit more difficult to get items. And the other is that... Um, they really want to pick things out for themselves, honestly. And so we collect, you know, $25 Walmart gift cards um, that we we can bunch up in groups of two, so $50, and let them shop for gifts for themselves. Um, where are you, so that's where are kind of locations? our big project. We have uh, one in Moab, we have one in Ogden, and then we have one in Salt Lake County. And if people needed your services, do they go through other government programs and the government programs coordinate with you for the services or can they come directly to a Christmas box house? So that's an important question because the the uniqueness to the Christmas box house emergency shelters in particular is that they're partnerships with the government, with the state and in Salt Lake's situation, the county. And the reason that's so special is because those are known to not work very well, a public-private partnership. So the kids that come to stay at the Christmas box houses are in state custody. They're youth that have been removed because there have been allegations of abuse or neglect. They are already in state custody, so they're wards of the state, really. We're the nonprofit entity that works with the community to add additional resources that they would otherwise not have. So we built the buildings. They were donated to the basically to the state in order to provide shelter for the children, and then we have the nonprofit side. That's that's the the nonprofit partnership, and we're able to to get additional resources in the community. Celeste, what's your favorite miracle that you've seen working with all of these kids? Oh goodness, um, there's a couple things that have happened um, in that I've personally seen. One was a really interesting situation where we had a teenage girl 
Uh, this was when we first opened and she was actually pregnant. And so here's the irony. She's in state custody. Her baby that's going to be delivered is also going to naturally be in state custody upon delivery. Well, she's got plenty of people that have opinions about what she should do with this child, obviously. Um, She's got biological parents. She's got foster parents she was staying with. She's got her state caseworker. Everybody telling her things she should do. Well, because we had the Christmas box house, she was able to stay, um, have her own space, go through delivery with her baby. I remember bringing the crib into the bedroom. So she was able to spend time bond with that child, which is good for both of them. And then she, over a period of a few weeks, made a decision herself that it was best for her. And I think for her and the trauma that she was going through already for herself, to be able to make that decision and empower herself that that was the best thing for her child and she had a safe place to process all that, um, is pretty much a miracle. It could have gone a very different direction. That <laughs> child could have been taken from the hospital from her. She might, you know, we don't know what that experience would have looked like. Sure. And so that's, <clears throat> that's one that I'll, I'll never forget, you know, helping to bring that crib in. Um, another is uh, one that I've referenced before. And it isn't that the miracle isn't the, the first part of the story. The miracle is what happened um, afterwards. And it is that there was a little um, girl in the Christmas box house that asked, um, we were asking what items they wanted for Christmas. And she says to me, um, she's about 12. And I said, what would you like for Christmas? And she said, I just want a shirt with a tag on it. And I said, we can do that. We can do that for you. So when people ask, you know, why do we, why do you just take new donations? Well, one, I will say when we first opened, we took gently used and everybody's version is a little bit different. Um, and people would seriously bring things that I'm like, I don't think you'd even give this to your child. So then when I, you know, heard that story from this 12 year old girl, I said, well, this, this is why. And when I tell people that story, they don't keep asking that question. They know I'm like, she deserves a new shirt with a tag on it. She's going to get plenty of hand-me-downs. She's going to get, um, all of her stuff like I did. She's going to carry it around in a black garbage bag. And I will tell you that this is really cool because, um, we had this mission when we started that no child would leave in a garbage bag. And so we were collecting duffel bags and suitcases and all those fun things. And when I left Christmas box house um, for a while to go into corporate world and I came back, a worker that was still there in the beginning after 14 years walked up to me and she said, Celeste, I'm so glad you're here. I just want to tell you something. And I was like, what? And she said, I promise you that since you've been gone, no child has left with a garbage bag. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. (laughs) It's a win. So that's, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's those small miracles because I can tell you in foster care, I get that what I'm lugging around is someone's trash. I understand that the, the last bag of Funyuns and chocolate milk that my dad bought me. Who, who knows why I, I ate that together, but I did. Um, <laughs> I knew it was trash. And they know that a lot of the stuff they carry around too, that they're not going to you know, get from a biological parent or a grandmother ever again is trash. But to them, it's their treasure. And part of carrying your stuff around in a trash bag you know, only reiterates the fact that everybody thinks you're a trash can. So it's just those small miracles mm. that people overlook in their daily life that make a massive impact. By small and simple things, huh? 
Yeah. You know, not a garbage sack, put your stuff in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> what website can people go to? Uh, thechristmasbox.org. Perfect. Thank and, you. Um, based on the book, of course, and it's going to give you all the information. Some people want to give time. Some people want to give things and some people want to give money. And it's all important. Part of the community partnership is that, you know, we want people to give in a way that's meaningful for them. Thank you so much. And thank you for being on the show today. It's been wonderful to talk to you. And Richard, thank you for being on. Do you have any final words you want to leave with the audience? Thank you. Thank you so much. It's something we're obviously very passionate about. We're actually expanding our reach. Um, We're creating a coalition that we call defendchildren.com. Our goal is to go nationwide. Uh, We actually work with a team that extract children. Oh, wow. With them in a few minutes. They were just on a mission where they were hunting down a, a human trafficker. And so, uh, but we've been helping traffic children for more than 20 years, and we've been doing it very efficiently. We're very proud of the number that um, 88.1% of all the funds go directly to the children. That's a lot. That's Um, fantastic. Yeah, it's really high. And um, no one's getting rich on this side. Um, We we have a very dedicated staff, and I just, it's fun to even watch them because they're having fun doing this. And I think that's important because you should, you should be joyful. If you're working with kids in a bad place, you should be joyful. Well, you should be joyful anyway. I think enjoying the journey is a really important (laughs) part of all of it. You create more miracles and more love and more joy when you can be that way. Absolutely, That's right. Thank you, both of you. Merry Christmas to you. And um, I'll I'll have all the links to your websites and where people can get involved. And where can people find your book, Richard? Everywhere? Uh, should be everywhere. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Lori. The stories behind all that Richard Paul Evans has created surrounding the book, the angels, the Christmas box international. It's a true story of miracles that leaves me in awe. I'm sure that there were a few aha moments there for you too. But the beautiful thing that we're connecting with here is that miracles do happen. As we move into the last part of the holiday season, I encourage you to look for the miracles and the magic in your own life. To notice with gratitude the moments of intuition and serendipity that lead you into really beautiful things. I believe in miracles, and today's show is just a peek at that real-life miracles that have happened in one person's life. Surround yourself with light and love and healing and miracles as often as you can, and try to create those for others as well. That's what Christmas is all about, the birth of Christ, who is love, who is the doer of miracles. Have a beautiful holiday, everyone, and join me in two weeks for the last episode of the year, the best of 2020, and I'm going to unveil the top five downloaded Love Your Story podcast episodes for the year. So it will be an inspirational cornucopia with the top five little snitches from each of them. Um, In closing, don't forget, as you are doing your Christmas list, to get your copy of Life, Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day, the 21 Life Connection Challenges. In 2021, I'm starting a new opportunity for groups to sign on 
and complete the challenges together. We need that added momentum and accountability and fun. It just makes it so much better when we do it in a group. But we also need it because with everything that's gone on with COVID and the being away from one another, not being able to connect the way that we've wanted to, this doing it in groups and talking about it through the the group platforms, being able to share experiences makes it a whole different thing. So go to loveyourstorypodcast.com to get more information and to sign up for a group. And I will contact you personally as we get your group set up. So if you have a women's group or a youth group, um, a book club, a church group, a, a group at work that you want to take through the challenges, we can get all of those groups put together for you. We can get you started on creating more connection and self-care and possibility in your life story for 2021. Good things are ahead, people. Have a wonderful holiday, and we will see you in a couple weeks.